Awesome. Well, we know that it is a, uh, it is a stressful time for many of you. Uh, and so we, my name is Ben. I'm on staff with Campus Ministry. If there's anything I or the other staff can do to help you or care for you, we're not going to write any papers for you or anything like that. Uh, something we can do to pray for you, with you, please come find us anytime uh, this week or whatever. Just know that we love you and we're cheering you on. We're so excited that you guys are here tonight. Uh, speaking of tonight, tonight we're going to look at a passage that is challenging, to say the least, I would say, actually. When we met with the, care, or the program team a couple weeks ago, we, we studied the scriptures together that we talk about here at the well, and we got done reading it, and they're all like, whoa, we're going to talk about this at the well? I'm like, yeah. Anybody want to teach it for me? And they're like, no, go right ahead, have fun with that one. So, Without further ado, turn to Luke chapter 14. If you have it in a real Bible, you can go ahead and turn to that page. Uh, If you have it on a device, it's also a real Bible, you can turn to it that way as well. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. Bless you. Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Or if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Are you sure about that? Are you sure that you are thankful that these are the words of the Lord that we just read tonight? A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the passage of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about how important it is to love our neighbor, which includes your worst enemies, as yourself. And now we turn to this passage. Jesus says, anyone who does not hate his family and himself can't be my disciple. What's, What's going on here? Let's read that again. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother... His wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, so for me, this is what this looks like. 
Anyone who does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, child, his brother and sister, yes, even his own life, (laughs) he cannot be my disciple. What is this? You can go to the next slide. Okay, that's my, there, there you go. That's my family. Anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I have to hate my family. Now, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my son, Jaden. I also really love Snickers. Okay? Now, for example, Stace, why don't you come on up here? What if, this is my wife, Stacy, by the way, all right? What if, yeah, there you go, there you go. What if, okay, I love Stacy and I love Snickers. What if I was given the choice to only love one? What do you think, what do you think I should choose? You're getting a few votes. Okay, so if Stacy's like a 10, okay, on a scale of like, I love her a lot, then the Snickers, okay, if this is like a 10, then the Snickers should like, like a 9 or an 8. Oh, come on, I hate Snickers. Snickers doesn't even compare. It's not even on the radar in comparison to the love that I have for my wife. I hate Snickers in comparison. Thanks. I love you. You can have a seat. (laughs) I think that's more the spirit that Jesus is talking about here. It's not like, oh, you're really supposed to hate your family. But in comparison, where does the love of Jesus fit on the scale compared to what's, what's second? And is it a close second? Or is it not even close? Which is also interesting that Jesus says this in a culture where honoring the parents was of the highest obligation. And having a family was one's greatest joy. And in moments like that, in a culture like that, Jesus says, oh yeah, how much more of a priority or an obligation or a joy is it to follow me? Jesus continues in verse 27. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This was not just metaphorically speaking. This was a very vivid picture. This is what was happening in that world at that time. Rome was in charge and they were crucifying people. It was a very selfless, sacrificial picture that was embedded in their brains. When Jesus says this, this is what it takes. Take up your cross and follow me. There's this guy by the name of N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, which I think that's awesome. Uh, He's brilliant. Uh, He's amazing. He's a British scholar uh, and retired Anglican bishop. And he's written a lot of things. And everything I've read of his stuff is really good. He has this commentary series um, and this is from Luke for Everyone. And I want to read part of this because I think this is really helpful to get 
a glimpse of the spirit uh, that Jesus was trying to get at here. So he says this, imagine a politician standing on a soapbox addressing a crowd. If you're going to vote for me, he says, you're voting to lose your homes and families. You're asking for higher taxes and lower wages. You're deciding in favor of losing all you love best. So come on, who's on my side? The crowd wouldn't even bother heckling him or throwing rotten tomatoes at him. They would just be puzzled. Why on earth would anyone try to advertise himself in that way? But isn't that what Jesus is doing in this astonishing passage? Do you want to be be my disciple? Well, in that case, you have to learn to hate your family, give up your possessions, and get ready for a nasty death. Hardly the way, as we say, to win friends and influence people. But suppose, instead of a politician, we think of the leader of a great expedition, forging a way through a high and dangerous mountain pass to bring urgent medical aid to villagers cut off from the rest of the world. If you want to come any farther, the leader says, you'll have to leave your packs behind. From here on, the path is too steep to carry all that stuff, and you probably won't find it again. And you better send your last postcards home. This is a dangerous route, and it's very likely that several of us won't make it back. We can understand that. We might not like the sound of it, we can at least see why that would make sense. So rather than Jesus trying to be this politician, maybe he's more of a, maybe it's more of like a battle cry of, hey, this is what it's going to take. This is our mission. This is our opportunity. Who wants to go for it? I think of it, I think of it sort of like this scene from Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. We have any Lord of the Rings fans in the house? There we go. think that's a little bit more of the spirit or the context or the the message that Jesus is trying to get across here. Hey, this is what it's going to take. Who's in? Who wants to go for it? I feel like I feel like this is what it means to follow Jesus. I feel like following Jesus is supposed to be this adventure. It's supposed to be this challenge. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to bring us out of our comfort zones. Last week, I had the privilege of uh, hanging out in Florida for a few days. My brother lives down there, and I went to visit him. Uh, He works at a church down there, so I was helping with something down there. It was pretty awesome. 
But, you know, since you're going to be in Florida, you might as well play for a couple of days as well. So we went kayaking on a river near their house. I got one picture here. There you go. Took a selfie. There you go. It's me and my brother, Corey. We're hanging out on the river. Uh, and it was gorgeous. It was awesome. The weather was amazing. The water temperature was amazing. We're supposed to see, like, lots of animals, but we didn't see any, obviously, because that's the way it goes. But Corey said to me, hey, this is really awesome, too, because there's places where you can, like, do rope swing stuff and, like, jump off these cliffs into the water where it's deep in parts. And I'm like, awesome. I, I want to be that guy. But he's like, do you like heights? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm tall, but... I don't really love heights, you know? So we get to the first stop, and there's like this rope swing, and sure enough, I do it. I get in the rope swing into the water. It's not a big deal. And we keep paddling and paddling and paddling. And also we come around this curve, and he's like, yeah, I think it's coming up. And there it is. So there's this like 30, 40, it seemed like 90 feet thing, um, kind of a, a platform that they built into a tree. I mean, it was totally janky, you know, like, yeah, right, people die doing this for sure, you know? And he's like, oh, I've done it before. It'll be okay. And so we get out of the kayak, and I'm standing in the water, and he's standing in the water. And we're both like, I don't think I'm going to do it. And we just stood there, and we kept contemplating. And we kept contemplating. And then another kayak comes by. This guy gets out of the kayak, goes straight over to the, the tree, climbs up the tree, jumps off, gets back in his kayak, and, you know, goes on away. Another kayak comes by, <laughs> they get out, they climb the tree, they jump in the water a couple times. Yeah. Corey's like, let's just go look at it. Because <laughs> it was on the other side of the river. All right, fine. So I just go over there, I swim across, and next thing I know, I'm like 30 feet in the air. And I'm like, what the crap just happened? I'm like shaking, and they're like, my sister is like filming this thing. She's like, I can't believe you're doing this. And sure enough, I jumped into the water, and then Corey jumped in the water, and then I did it again, and it was awesome. But I feel like that's, for me, standing in the water was like, this is not what's supposed to be happening right now. I mean, I, I could, but I, I, I want to live the life that's a little bit more challenging, a little bit more adventurous, takes a step of faith. It's just hard at times. Okay, jumping 30 feet out of a tree, maybe not that hard for some of you guys, but it was for me, so lay off me, okay? <laughs> I want in. I don't want to be the guy that's just standing on the side in the banks and watching other people participate. When I was in college... Uh, I feel like that's the season of my life where God started to, like, get a hold of my heart a little bit. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, tried to be a good boy, those kinds of things. But then there's this thing that started to stir inside of me. And God started to, like, change things inside of me. And I realized that most of my life had been this Christian walk of really just standing on the banks and watching it happen and trying to be good while I'm standing over here. And then I became a young life leader, and I realized that God was using me to somehow participate in the things that were going on in the world, and he's using me to change other people's lives. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what we're made to do. We're made to participate. We're made to jump in. We're not made to just kind of stand on the side and watch other people go for it. 
this, I think, is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Hey, it's not easy, but who wants to go for it? Who wants to not just stand in the water and watch other people participate, but who wants to really, who's up for the challenge? And then Jesus tells these two parables uh, that we're not going to dive into, but basically he's saying, hey, know the cost. This is what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. It's not this, yes, I have read and agreed to all of these things that I didn't really read to, didn't really read, so I'm just going to click the button and it's going to be okay. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, no, really, this is what it takes. You have to know the cost of what it's really going to, what it requires to come and really follow me. And then he says in verse 33, in the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Everything? Family? Friends? Friday night plans? Reputation? Relationship with a boyfriend that maybe you're compromising in? When I was in college, I didn't, I didn't really date anybody in college. I had a girlfriend in high school, and I didn't really date anybody for a long time, like seven years or something like that. Uh, but there were, you know, friends of mine that just asked me periodically, hey, what are you, what are you looking for in a wife someday? And I don't know why I have this memory of reciting this text. Anyone who does not hate his father or mother, his wife or children, cannot be my disciple. And there's this quote from C.S. Lewis that was already up there. <laughs> a woman's heart should be so close to God, a man should have to chase him to find her. Let me just read that one more time for you guys, okay? A woman's heart should be so close to God that a man should have to chase after him, capital H, in order to find her. That's what I wanted for myself. So I did. What can I say? <laughs> Again, Jesus is not asking us to really hate our family members. He's not asking us to hate our friends. He's not asking us to unfriend people on Facebook. He's not asking you to break up with your boyfriend. He's not asking you to go this thing alone. We're not supposed to be like hermits. Discipleship is supposed to be done in community. And so we do this together. But know what Jesus is asking of us. If, if we are to be disciples of Jesus, deployed to serve the most important mission in the entire world, is it obvious? Is it evident who is the first love? And is there a close second or is, the, is second place like in the lobby? Because this is, I think, who Jesus is and who he deserves to be. I see he's going to come and share a couple of stories and we'll have a good time.
Turn back to Luke 14 for a second. We're just going to look at the end of that passage. So starting in verse 34. This is how Jesus ends this whole kind of thing he's talking about. He says, the salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus says all of these things and uses some other metaphors to kind of help them understand what it means to count the cost and then issues this kind of final warning using the image of salt. So you guys tell me for a second, what are some things that salt is used for? For the roads, unfortunately, we need that. That's true. Someone else? For taste, to enhance taste. What else? Preserving food. That's good. Anything else you can think of? Yeah. To heal wounds. Absolutely. And actually, there's one more that's really interesting. Anybody think of another use? Pardon me? It makes you thirsty. True. It also is used to cleanse. Here's a little tip for you. Did you know if you have a stain in the bottom of your coffee pot, you know how it gets like all brown? You can stick some salt in there and shake it around with water and that stain will come off, right? I read that on the back of a salt jar one time. So anyway, salt has, salt has all of these wonderful uses. And so Jesus uses this image that everyone, even in his culture, understood. Even the things you're saying are true now about salt, maybe minus the roads, um, or used in Jesus' culture in the first century. So, but here's the interesting thing. Strictly speaking, salt cannot lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride, those of you who are smarter than me know this, is a stable compound. It can't happen. If it's actually salt, it can't lose its saltiness. So what is Jesus saying? So there was a rabbi that came a little bit after Jesus in the first century that had this to say about this idea. Listen to this. It's kind of weird, but kind of funny. When this rabbi, his name was Joshua ben Haninya, when he was asked how one could make saltless salt salty again, he replied like this. He said one should salt it with the afterbirth of a mule. I know that's weird. Hang with me. Being sterile, mules have no afterbirth, and he was saying that those who ask a stupid question get a stupid answer. The point being that real salt does not lose its saltiness. Did you hear that? Real salt doesn't lose its saltiness. It's not possible by definition. So when Jesus says salt is good, but it loses its saltiness, it's no longer useful. What's he saying? Can you guys make the connection? It's not really salt in the first place. Because if it was really salt in the first place, it wouldn't lose its saltiness. Are you with me? Hanging in there? Okay, now translate this into Jesus is using this as he's defining what it means to be a disciple. And this is really painful. Are you ready? Just as salt that is not salty is not really salt, so a disciple without full commitment is not really a disciple. Ouch. 
Let me say it again. Just as salt that is not salty is not really salt, a disciple without full commitment is not really, by definition, a disciple. We are either all in or we are not in. And again, I know those are hard words, painful words. But what I want to do is show show you a couple stories to help us understand what this all in looks like. Okay, so three quick stories. The first one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who's heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Awesome. Incredible man. I'm just going to read you a little tiny bit of his story. He was a German pastor who lived in the early 1900s. In 1937, he published this book, The Cost of Discipleship, which I would highly recommend. It became a classic. Now, as Hitler and the Nazis seduced a nation, bullied a continent, and attempted to exterminate the Jews across Europe, a small number of people stood up and said, this is not okay, and Bonhoeffer was one of them. Eventually, his resistant efforts, mainly his role in rescuing Jews from Nazis, was discovered, and he was put in prison for two years. While he was in prison, he ministered to all kinds of people, um, corresponded with his family, and eventually uh, he was taken to an extermination camp, and he was hung on April 9, 1945. He lost his life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was all in and had a huge impact on the world. Story number two. These are our friends, Travis and Mariah. Ben and I have been friends with them for several years. Um, Mariah, unfortunately, has been very sick for years, the last 12 years, to be specific. And it's been a mysterious illness that they could not figure out what was wrong with her. And she's been to, like, over 45 doctors and specialists and clinics and hospitals and trying to figure out what's wrong. And just two weeks ago, finally got a diagnosis, which you'd think would be, actually is, very exciting. But here's the thing. The diagnosis is a disease called SIRS, Chronic Inflammatory Respiratory System, which brings suffering to her by exposure to mold and toxins. So for them to find a way for Mariah to get healthy, here's what they had to do. They were told they had to leave their home, which tested positive for mold, never to return. They had to leave behind everything, Because everything they owned had the possibility of being contaminated by this mold in their house. All their clothes, all their pictures, all their papers, cards, letters, everything they owned, they would have to leave behind. And leave Michigan, leave their community, leave a great job for Travis, and move to Arizona to an arid place in the desert where she could begin to heal. And so they listened to this diagnosis. They listened to the recommendations of their doctors. They counted the cost and decided they were all in. This last Tuesday, they got into a new car with each of them, a pair of shoes, two new pairs of pants, a couple shirts, some pajamas, a little heater, and a pot to cook food in hotels along the way. And they left everything behind so that potentially Mariah could get well. This is an example of being all in. Story number three. 
The guy on the left is my friend Dan. Some of you have met him before. This is his wife, Rachel, and his kids. Um, in 2008, I want to say, Dan and his family felt the urge to leave everything comfortable about American culture and move to South Africa, where they knew there was horrible suffering happening among some of the township communities in Durban, South Africa, due to the AIDS crisis. So literally, Dan's youngest girl was six weeks old when they left everything behind, moved to the other side of the world. And this is what the result is. Look at this picture, the next one. This is a kids' club that they run every Saturday. This is like one of several that go on during the day because so many kids want to come. They can't fit them all in. They are sharing healing and truth and the message of Jesus with kids that are suffering in ways that you would not believe if you read it. Dan and his family were all in, and I want you to listen to his words that he sent me in an email soon after he moved there. Too many Christians realize too late what God is doing and miss their opportunity to be salt and light, to be one of the heroes of their generation. I'm not going to miss this. And he's a constant encouragement to me, and the good news is he's going to be in this room tomorrow with 25 of those kids, which is really exciting, and they're going to sing for us on this stage and you'll get to see in real life, what does it look like? What are, the, what are the implications of being all in as a disciple of Jesus? Now, here's the thing. The question you'd be tempted to ask yourself is, could I do this? Like, could I do what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, which would lead to my death? Could I do what Travis and Mariah just did for the sake of the gospel? Could I do something like Dan and his family? Like, could I do these things? You guys, I don't know if I could. I don't know. That's not the question. The question is, are you all in today as a follower of Jesus? And in the things he's asking you to do today, will you follow him? Will you be obedient? Will you be all in and believe that he has life abundant for you? And as you do that, faithfully following one foot in front of the other, who knows what the adventure is that's waiting, but he calls us to a life that says, yes, I am all in. Now, I want you to hear this. This is really important. This does not mean you have to be perfect today at being all in, right? It's a process and a journey, just like it was for all of these people I've just told you about. The question is, where's your heart? What's your motive? And are you striving to be a person who's all in? Because we are all in the process and the journey of becoming that. One last slide. These are words of someone who understood the call of Jesus, and that's Jaden helping Ben with the garbage. So, Because it goes so well with this text, so let me read it to you. Whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. As we sing, which we're going to do now, I want you to think about two questions. Here's the, here they are. 
Are you truly a disciple of Jesus, so much so that all your life is oriented around his love, around his word, around his leading and guidance in your life? Are you really all in? And you know what? I know you guys. A lot of you are. And it's so courageous, and it's so beautiful what you're doing and how you're living. Keep going. Don't stop. But, but tonight, maybe you're listening to this and you feel a little more like Ben was describing watching the kayaks and the jumpers, and just kind of watching it happen. Maybe tonight is a time for you to say, you know what? Enough being on the sidelines. I'm in. I'm all in. And I want to surrender my life and my heart to Jesus. I want to be a disciple. Consider those things as we sing. Jesus ends this passage by saying this. He who has ears, let him hear. Will you pray with me? Jesus, this is a hard teaching. These words both call us to a life of adventure and greatness in your kingdom, and these words hurt. These words are painful because they they ask us to be willing to part with things that we love more than you, if we're honest. So Jesus, I pray in these moments that your spirit would be gentle and kind to us, that your truth would speak loudly and that you would draw us near. Give us courage. Give us boldness to choose a life of following you fully. Jesus, help us be all in. And speak to us in whatever way we might need to hear you in these moments. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.